Good morning. Please stand as you're able for today's lesson from the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 14, and from book of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 27 through 30. You should not commit adultery. You have heard it that it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Well, as we continue in our sermon series, Written in Stone, we now come to the seventh commandment. Thou shall not commit adultery. Happy Valentine's Day weekend, everybody. (laughs) Some of you know Davis has gone on study leave, which is quite convenient. And I'm not sure if when he was planning out the sermon series, he does plan in advance that if when he got to this one about adultery, he said, you know what, let's assign that to an associate or if it just happened to be this way. But regardless of how it happened, it's my honor to be here this morning and to open up God's word with you. And I actually think it's quite fitting for me to preach about this commandment here in this place because it was here down on the platform just over five years ago that my soon-to-be wife, Emily, and I stood at our wedding ceremony. That day, Davis performed the ceremony. He preached on Colossians 3, a sermon that I still remember quite well. My aunt, the Reverend Dr. Alice Rogers, co-officiated. James Wells sang a beautiful song. Jeff Wood and the tech team were doing all of their stuff up there. And that day, in the midst of the ceremony, we were asked this. Will you love, comfort, honor, and keep one another in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, be faithful to one another as long as you both shall live? And we both promised we will. How many of you in here have ever made promises like these at a wedding? Then we went further. We went further and we, we vowed to have and to hold one another for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we were parted by death. And while some people move from dating to marriage rather quickly, it actually took us a bit longer. It took me a bit longer because I knew how serious these vows were. I knew how serious these vows were and throughout my life and throughout my years of ministry up to that point, I had seen the damage done when people were unfaithful to their marriage vows. I've seen churches decimated when spiritual leaders commit adultery and people are left wondering who, if anyone, they can trust anymore. I've seen spouses when when someone that they loved pledged to care for them, honor them, and love them all the days of their life when their spouse soon becomes infatuated with someone else and they, they go off. I've seen spouses questioning their self-worth, whether they're lovable and their future in life. 
And my own grandfather, I never met him. Because after he was unfaithful to my grandfather, grandmother, he left town and he never returned again. Sometimes we come to this commandment and think, you know what, it's not a, not a huge deal. This is one person's choice in their private life. It doesn't affect other people. But if your life has ever been touched by infidelity, then you know that it can impact not just one person, not just a couple, but many people. And that's a very simple definition of adultery we could use. It is marital infidelity. And so what happens is it not only touches a couple and a marriage, but it also impacts a family. Finances, future, friend groups, and it can even impact the depth of people's faith. And so I think this is perhaps why it earns a spot in the top 10. And a couple of weeks ago, Davis, he talked about the fifth commandment, which concerns one of the most vital relationships in all of our lives, and that is the relationship with our parents. He talked about how we're called to honor them. And today's commandment touches on another vital relationship. For those who are married, it's, it's perhaps the most significant, the most intimate, the most vital relationship in their lives. And between the two commandments is the sixth commandment that we looked at last week, thou shall not murder. And if you were with us here last week, Davis did a great job pointing out how every commandment that is a prohibition, like thou shall not murder, is actually pointing us to a deeper truth about God and something that God honors and cares about and wants lifted up. And so Davis talked about how when we come to you shall not murder, it points us to the fact that God honors life. God reveres life. And today's commandment is similar. It points us to the deep truth that God also honors faithfulness that God desires faithfulness in all of our relationships, particularly in the relationship of marriage. And when you do a survey of the scriptures, you find that people struggle throughout the Bible living out this commandment. Some people do it well, some people don't do it. You might remember the story of Joseph in the latter half of Genesis. Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery. He ended up in an Egyptian household and a man named Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife was very interested in Joseph and was interested in committing adultery with him. But, but Joseph, he refused. He refused and said to her this, my master has withheld nothing from me except for you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. Then, of course, you have the most famous example of adultery in the Bible, David. King David, a man who is called one after God's own heart. And when we come to David's story in 2 Samuel chapter 11, he, he's a king, he's in the palace, and in verse two, we read this. One evening, he got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace, and from the roof, he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. And in that moment, David had a choice. He had a choice. He could turn away from the woman or he could stay turned towards her. And he stayed turned towards her. 
He kept looking and he actually sent people to inquire about her. And as he, as he learned about this woman named Bathsheba, he, he wanted to, to know even more. And so he sent messengers to get her and to bring her to the palace. And soon they slept together. And then she goes home and word comes back. You might know the story. She's pregnant. So David finds himself in a very sticky situation and he wants to, to deal with it. And so he knows her husband has gone off to battle. So he calls the husband back from battle and says, why don't y'all have a little honeymoon moment to try to cover up uh, the conception of this child, but it doesn't work out that way. And so David says, you know what? I'm gonna send him back to battle. And then at just the right moment, I'm gonna withdraw troops so that he's killed on the front lines. And that's exactly what happens. And so David commits he breaks not only the seventh commandment, but he also breaks the sixth commandment. And David's story always reminds me of that old preacher quote. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. It will always keep you longer than you want to stay. And it will always cost you more than you want to pay. reading David's story, it's easy to get kind of judgmental. Hearing about others' infidelities, feel a little self-righteous, think I'd never do that. But pride always comes before the fall. And most people don't set out in their hearts to commit adultery. Instead, it's a series of small decisions week after week. Instead of turning away, it's turning towards. We also can't be prideful because when we continue moving beyond Exodus in the scriptures, we find that, that God doesn't just define adultery as a physical act. It's also more than that. God speaking through the prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, says that when his people are unfaithful to him and they're worshiping idols, they're committing spiritual adultery. And then Jesus, God incarnate, in the Sermon on the Mount, he reiterates the seventh commandment. And he not only reiterates it, but he also expands upon it as we heard read earlier. I want to read a portion again. You've heard it was said, Jesus said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away for it's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And Jesus is very serious here. He's very serious here. He's so serious. He uses this hyperbolic imagery about tearing one's own eye out as a way to tell his disciples then and to tell us today that we need to be willing to do whatever it takes to avoid adultery in all of the many forms that it takes. And I think sometimes when we come to passages like this, particularly ones in the gospel where Jesus is, is talking about things like this, we can think, you know, Jesus, like there is a lot of sin in the world. There is a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of suffering. Like, is it really that important? I mean, is this really that big of a deal? And I think for Jesus, it really is a big deal. And it's a big deal to Jesus because faithfulness is a big deal to Jesus. Faithfulness in all of our relationships, but particularly faithfulness in marriage. When the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus about marriage, 
He quotes Genesis 2, chapter 24, and then he adds something very interesting at the end. He says this, he says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. Paul says it's a profound mystery that, that marriage and Christ's mission are somehow linked together. It's a profound mystery that the pattern of marriage is actually the pattern of Christ. After all, Christ left his father in heaven out of love and came into the world for us and for our salvation. Christ wants to be united to each and every one of us. Christ, out of love, wants to be one with us. And so what Paul is saying here, in this mysterious way, he's saying that faithful marriages are actually a mirror that help reflect God's faithfulness to the wider world. Or one way to think about it a little more simply is this. When your spouse, if you're married, loves you unconditionally, they are reflecting Christ's unconditional love to you to your family and to others who are watching. When your spouse forgives the seemingly unforgivable things that you've done, your spouse is modeling, reflecting Christ's forgiveness, his abundant forgiveness that he offers to each and every person through repentance and faith. Tonight, when you're watching a football game and you get mad at the TV and you throw something and you break your new TV and you're screaming at grown men who you don't even know in a land far away and you're taking it so seriously and your spouse is still kind and patient to you, what your spouse is doing is reflecting the kindness and the patience that Jesus Christ has for the church when we act like fools as well. Faithful marriages can help reflect God's faithfulness to the church and to his people as revealed in Jesus Christ. But of course, if you've been married for any amount of time or you've seen people's marriages, you know the question that comes up is, well, what about when you're unfaithful? What about when you don't honor one another? What about when you don't love and, and cherish and comfort one another? What about when you do lust? What then? What then? 1976, then presidential candidate Jimmy Carter sat down for an interview that some of his advisors said wasn't a, a great idea. It was an interview with Playboy magazine. And in that interview that later caused a stir in the media, he said some very frank truths that I think are good for us to hear. He said this, he, he said to the interviewer, I've looked on a lot of women with lust. I've committed adultery in my heart many times. This is something that God recognizes that I will do and I have done it and God forgives me for it. God forgives me for it. And I'm sure the interviewer that day may not have quite understood where, 
where Jimmy Carter was coming from and this word of grace that he was speaking in this moment. But I have to think as a Georgia boy that Jimmy Carter, born in Plains, Georgia, growing up at Plains Baptist Church, that when he was speaking these words about God's grace and God's forgiveness available to us through Christ, that he probably had in mind a story that he learned as a child from John chapter eight, a story perhaps you know. One day a woman was brought before Jesus who was caught in the act of adultery. Jesus was teaching and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees drug this woman before him and they said to him, they said, look, the law says that we should stone her, but what do you say? They were always trying to trick Jesus and trap him. And Jesus did something very mysterious. We don't really understand. He, he bent down in the sand and he wrote something and then he stood up and he said, let the one who is without sin cast the first stone. And I have to believe that it was silent in that moment, except for the sound of rocks falling all around. And soon Jesus and this woman were facing one another and Jesus asked her this. He said, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, Lord, she said. And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. To this woman who was caught in the act of adultery, Jesus doesn't speak a word of condemnation over her. Instead, he speaks a word of compassion over her. He speaks a word of forgiveness, a word of grace, and he forgives her and he sends her out to live a transformed life by his power. And the good news that I wanna share with you this morning is that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, if you've been here for this is the first time or you've been here a hundred times, God's forgiveness and mercy is available to you as well. Jesus Christ doesn't condemn you. Instead, he freely offers forgiveness that was purchased for you on the cross. And God's forgiveness doesn't mean that when you receive it immediately, all your relationships are going to be restored. But it does mean that you can walk free from the guilt and the shame that perhaps you've been carrying. And I don't know the situations that if you're married that you've faced throughout the many years of your marriage, but I I do know this, sometimes the situations are so complicated, you need professional counseling. You need additional help. And obviously I can't speak to every situation today, but, but I know this at a very fundamental and simple level. That faithfulness in marriage is not something that happens by chance. There's this myth in our culture that, you know, you have to find the right one or you might marry the wrong person that it's like a game of, of luck and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't, but it's not really a game of chance. Instead, faithfulness in marriage is something that can be cultivated over time. And I've been thinking about this idea as my wife and I have been hosting the marriage course, a marriage enrichment program with over 30 couples that we're doing here at the church. And so I've, I've had marriage on my mind. I've had this sermon on my mind. And last weekend, I wasn't in worship. I was at Bership of Springs at the men's retreat where Bishop James King, one of our former pastors, was the speaker. And the last day of the retreat, he had been talking about his wife who passed away last year named Rose. And 
how much he missed her and how they were married for over 40 years. And I've only been married just over five years. And so I went up to Bishop King on the last morning and I said, Bishop King, I'm, I'm preaching a hard passage next week. I need some help. What words of wisdom do you have about marriage? How did you and your wife cultivate this faithfulness in marriage over 40 plus years? And I, I thought he was gonna say, you know, let me get back to you or let me think about it. I'll send you an email or I'll call you. But no, immediately he told me three things. And those are the three things that I wanna leave you with today. And one of the things he says, he said, pray together. Pray together. He said, in the marriage I had with my wife, one of the things that helped bond us spiritually and emotionally was praying with one another. And he said, studying the scriptures was so helpful for us. And, and so he, he gave this idea that when you do spiritual disciplines with your spouse, it not only connects you with God, but it also connects you with another. And if you've never done this, this might be a little awkward at first, but you can start small. Start by praying before a meal praying for one another before you go to work or praying at the end of the day together. And then he went on and he, he gave some counterintuitive advice, advice you don't hear a lot these days. He said, the second thing I would encourage people to do that we did is reach out to friends. He said, sometimes I didn't understand where my wife was coming from. And sometimes she didn't understand where I was coming from. Anybody in here ever felt that? No, just me? And he said, but we had trusted and faithful friends that we could go to and we could talk about the challenges that we were facing and we could help get perspective and our friends could sometimes say, you know what, your wife is right, you're wrong, okay, you need to listen. And he wasn't saying here, you know what, air out your, your dirty laundry to everybody or disparage yourselves. No, he was talking about a close group of friends and being able to open up about the challenges that you're having with other people and I think that's great wisdom. But of course, talking with others about your marriage isn't as important as talking to your spouse. And so he said, the most important thing, he said, you have to communicate with one another. You have to communicate with one another. And he said, this is not just relaying information or trying to get your point across. This is communicating with the goal of listening and caring for the other person. 40 years. They didn't leave faithfulness up to chance. Instead, they cultivated their relationship. They cultivated faithfulness. And everywhere they went, when he was at Brentwood for just a short amount of time, and then when he was bishop in Kentucky, and then when he was bishop down in South Georgia where he retired, everywhere they went, their marriage was a reflection of God's faithfulness to the world. And my hope and prayer is that the marriages represented in this room by the power and the grace of God would do the same. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.